Interestingly enough, though we didn't have a conversation, Jesse or I, but the, this morning's message is about the covenant name. The covenant name. Praise the Lord. In our fallen state of sin, man is incapable of relationship with God. So if God wants to restore us <clears throat> to our original purpose, in, and that is to be partners with him and to fellowship with him, then he has to remake us. That's, that's the job. That's the job that, that uh, uh, was left having to be accomplished when Adam took the human race down with him, he and his wife. But remaking man into a new creation is the actual purpose of the blood covenant. For it binds two parties together in a permanent relationship, making the two of them into one new relationship. And the wonderful thing about the blood covenant, if, if you haven't figured it out by now in the messages, let me just make it plain to you that when a blood covenant is formed, the strength of the greater party, if it's strong enough, it will transform and lift the condition of the weaker party. And that really is the purpose for covenants. You see a similar thing, for example, in a business where a large company will find a, a kind of an ailing, weak company that needs an infusion of money and perhaps a change in personnel, different policies. For some reason, it's failing. But the larger company and corporation sees some value in it, and so they buy it up. And, that, and if the assets and the leadership and all the things that are necessary to make success are strong enough in the stronger party, what it does is it brings transformation to the smaller party into that covenant so that the wealth spreads over that new creation. So you get that idea. Well, the debt of our sin, that was our weakness, our sickness, our corruption, all of those things that sin did, sin did for us, God obviously believed that his wealth and his strength was enough to pay the debt of our sins, to um, heal our corruption with his righteousness and our sickness with his wholeness, and then have some left over for eternity. Glory to God. And so that was the idea of the new covenant. The Lord said, I can, if I can draw man into a blood covenant... And so he sent his son, the second Adam, the perfect human, to enter into that blood covenant with the eternal father and then offered that covenant to you and I. So the blood covenant produced the new creation. And I use that phrase, the new creation, because most of us, and I know you, are very familiar with 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. So there is this transforming thing that is real in the life of everyone that has received Jesus Christ. And um, so if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you know that transformation has already begun on the inside. That's called the new creation or the new species. The original Greek text when Paul wrote that if we're in Christ, we're a new creation, he literally used the word species, meaning that we're not just the humans that we were before. We're now something different, the sons of God. Praise the Lord. Can you say amen? amen? 
So the blood covenant is actually the language that God uses to talk to us. If you don't know blood covenant, you're going to have a hard time talking to God. Many people uh, who become Christians have difficulty growing because they use the terms they find in the Bible, but they don't know what those terms mean. They don't understand the framework or the context. It really is understanding the blood covenant that makes us understand communion, makes us understand the cross. All these symbols and all these things that Jesus has said, I'm the branch or, or the vine and you're the branches, those are all explained through the blood covenant. If you don't understand blood covenant, you'll be saying the words, but you won't understand the meaning. And without understanding, faith is, well, faith is, is, is uh, stagnated. It's very, very hard to have faith when you don't understand what you're saying, why you have the authority to say it. So that's why Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 16:62, God speaking through him, I will establish my covenant with you, and then you will know that I am the Lord. And so God wants us not just to believe that he's the Lord. He wants us to know that he's the Lord. He wants us to know what he's the Lord of and how he is the Lord and what that means in our life. In order to truly know that and understand it, God said, you shall know my blood covenant that I've established with you and then you will know that I am the Lord. I want to share with you um, some statements, a little quick series of statements. I'd be happy to send these to you, by the way. Clip them out of my notes and send them because I think that they are a condensed, powerful statement of what it really means to be a born-again Christian. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, It gives him the right, listen carefully to the words I choose, when you receive him as Savior, he has the right then to cleanse your sins with his blood. He has the right to send the Holy Spirit into you, remaking you as a new creation in him. He has the right, when you receive him as Savior, to bring you into the blood covenant with the Father that he forged in his life. And finally, he has the right to give you a new identity, and with that new identity, a new name. Amen. We all have a new name. What Jesse was in effect saying when he was standing up here sharing that exhortation before I got up to speak was that your names, Antonio and Kaylee DeArmas, you identify them with the person who was born, born in sin. You know that you're born again. But you probably haven't thought of your name as being associated with the light of the world. But because Jesus has been authorized by you receiving him as Savior to send a new identity into you and a new name, you are now part of that name. And when you use the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, when you use that name in prayer, you're not simply calling on Jesus. Now, this is, this, you need to get this. This is the key to everything I'm going to say this morning. When in prayer you use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not just calling on him, but you are invoking the blood covenant as the new creation that God produced through that blood covenant. 
which simply means when you use the name of Jesus, that name encompasses not only him, but it includes you. If you are a new creation in Christ, when you are asking him for the things that he promises in his word, invoking that name invokes the covenant, and you are a sharer in that covenant. So faith in the name of Jesus through the lens of the blood covenant, when you are looking through that blood covenant, your faith in the name of Jesus is what connects you to sonship and connects you to eternal life because the name of Jesus tells you what to believe about him. Amen. The name of Jesus describes who God is. And it tells you what you are authorized to believe about Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Listen to how John put it. In the first chapter of John, he said, But as many as received him, to them gave he the authority to become the sons of God, the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. When you believe on his name, you believe that that name was produced by the blood covenant. You understand that name involves you, not just Jesus, but Jesus and you. John reiterated this thought several times through his gospel and through his three epistles. I'll just bring one other uh, example up in 1 John 5.13. John writes, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. How do I know that I have eternal life? Because I understand the name. I understand that when I call on Jesus, I'm calling upon a relationship between God and myself. His name includes you. Galatians 2.20 is all about that revelation. When Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, I live through the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. An unsafe person would hear Paul say that if they really listened to the words and the phrases of that statement. And they'd say, he's out of his mind. What he just said is impossible. I'm dead, yet I live. And the life I now live, in other words, my old life is over with. I'm, I'm living some kind of different life now. And the life that I now live is the life of Jesus Christ living in me. Yes. But see, only somebody who's a child of the blood covenant can understand that. Everybody else would be like, they've lost their mind. That's what it obviously means to become a Christian is you just lose your mind. Hallelujah. I'm going to share with you an example. Some of you have seen this before. <clears throat> this is you. This water is you, your soul, mind, personality, uh, all of those things. And I, my little demonstration this morning is, is to help give you a visual model of what that name of Jesus refers to. Now, this is you before you were saved. And so now you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord. This is Jesus, this egg, and you have to use your imagination, but he's here. And 
Most people think this is what happens when they receive Jesus. Now I've got Jesus in me. But guess what? I'm still the same. I just have Jesus living somewhere on the inside of me. He's still contained within himself. I'm still water. I'm still H2O. The egg's an egg. The water's water. There's, new, there's no new creation here. There's just an egg inside a pitcher of water. And that's what most people see in their mind when they think of Jesus in me. They still relate to themselves very much as, I'm really basically the same. I just carry Jesus in my heart, which they really think is, I just have faith in him. And so he's kind of intellectually within me. So this model will never work. This is not going to get it. This obviously has nothing to do with the blood covenant. The two have not become one. There's no new creation here. Can you say amen? amen. So let me show you what really happens when the blood covenant is cut. Here's man. Here's us. We receive Jesus as Lord. Now this is Jesus. Not the egg, but I'm holding a pack of Kool-Aid for those that are listening to the audio version of this message this morning. And uh, this is Jesus who came into the world to be dissolved into humanity. He came into the world dissolvable. He came into the world ready to be mixed with each human heart and spirit and make a new creation out of them. So here comes Jesus when you receive him as Lord. And we haven't even started to stir yet. You know, the Bible says, stir up the gift that is in you. Jesus comes in instantly, you're not what you were. If I said, I want to drink of water, you wouldn't take it out of that pitcher. What is that? That's Kool-Aid, honey. That's the Kool-Aid right there. We just made Kool-Aid. We made a new creation. Is that not right? If someone said, I want water, I've got to have water. I've got to have that old sinner. Well, I'm sorry, but it's too late. I'm something else now. What am I? I'm a new creation. What is that new creation? Well, the best way I could explain it to you is this new creation is what you get, like a chemical reaction, when you mix a soul trusting Jesus as Savior with Jesus. You get this. And if you stir it up, I don't even have to stir it, but you get the idea. I know that sometimes we feel like he sort of settles to the bottom. So we get that prayer going and we stir him up. But the fact is, is that Christ is in you. Jesus is Lord. So now that we can't call this water anymore, it's got to have a new name. The name of Jesus was given to us not only to describe God the Son, but more importantly, that name is stretched over everyone who becomes a new creation in Him. That name also refers to the bride of Christ. It also refers to the body of Christ. We are known by the name of Jesus. Yes. This is what He looked like at the right hand of the Father. This is what He looks like at the right hand of the Father now. And this in the spirit realm is what you look like walking around in the world. Can you say amen? Yeah. 
Give the Lord some praise this morning, somebody. Hallelujah. So, John says, if you believe in the name, you'll know that you have eternal life. And if you trust in the name, he will give you the authority to become the sons of God. His name includes you. How many of you have heard the phrase compound covenant names of God or some, some, something like that? There are several. There's really most people in their list when they come up with a list, come up with about seven or eight. Most agree eight. There's eight very significant compound covenant names of God in the Old Testament. They all begin with Jehovah or the Lord. And they're hyphenated, and that's why they're a compound name, because the second part of the name is always Rapha or Shema or Sidkenu or Makedesh. Or, these are all Hebrew words that mean something. And I'd like to just touch on these compound covenant names of God for a few minutes this morning. Because they are blood covenant names. What they are is they are the name of God connected with what he does for us in the new creation. Really, all of those compound covenant names of God, and we'll touch on them for a, in a moment here, were all consolidated and distilled into the Lord Jesus Christ. That name is above every name. God collected every promise. By the way, the compound covenant names of God are names of promise. Each one of them refers to a promise that God makes towards us. God gathered all of those up and said, I'm now going to reveal to humanity who I am. And he brought all those compound covenant names together and came into the world as the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's why the Bible says there is no other name given under heaven by which people must be saved. Now, to a humanist mindset, it seems exclusionary um, or elitist to say you can only be saved by Jesus' name because it sounds like you're putting down other religions. But let me ask you, if you're starving and you go to a cafeteria and they said, Look at all these different foods that are laid out here. Before you choose them, because they all look, you know, pretty good. They'll appeal to your appetites. Let me just tell you, one of them is actually food. The rest are poison. Would you be guilty of being exclusionary or, or being elitist if you didn't warn people who went to that cafeteria and tell them, look, I know that you see all this stuff, but only one of them is actually food. Jesus is the only God because he doesn't need other gods. When you're God, why do you need other gods? Why do you, why do you have to have... When you are perfectly capable of making the way, why do you need other ways? Just to confuse people, just to mix it up, just to keep people guessing? God does not tempt at the heart of Christianity is the notion that unfortunately is found in every other religion and belief system that God is tricky and mysterious 
and can mess you up. He can lead you down one path and then add, ah, it's not going anywhere. Here it is, you know, and uh, he's mysterious and complicated. But in Christianity, there's nothing like that. He is simple, forthright, and direct. He does not play around. He doesn't play games just to, just to make, keep everyone guessing. He's not the little man with the brown shoes sticking out from behind the curtain. He came directly into the world and said, I love the world. And we saw for those years of his ministry, love actually demonstrated and carried out in Jesus. Why do we need another way? When there is a perfectly good way that all world, all uh, nations and all people, no matter what walk of life, can come into the kingdom. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door. So all of these compound covenant names were distilled into the name of Jesus Christ because he reveals all of those covenant promises. So in short, all of the compound covenant names of God consolidated into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ are all the fulfillment of the blood covenant. Glory to God. And that's why Paul writes in uh, 2 Corinthians 1 and 20, for all of the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. So God says every compound covenant name and the associated promise is distilled into the name of Jesus, consolidated in that name. So through the name of Jesus... God does what he is. That sounds like a tricky phrase, not meant to be tricky, but you do have to crack it open and think about it. Through the name of Jesus, God does what he is. Whatever it is that God is, he does. When God does something, it comes from what he is. Now you think, well, that's, yeah, that, that's basic. But you'd be surprised how many people in the world don't do what they are and try to do what they aren't. You know, it's not a good idea to marry somebody, bind your life to them, who out of their mouth say to you, I make this promise and that promise, so I'm going to do this for you and do that, and they have no way of doing it. They're not capable. They tell you, I am this person, but the, if they're not that person, then there's a lack of integrity, but not with God. What he is, is in his name. It's all offered up front, and he does what he is. So through the name of Jesus, God does what he is. So he's not the one that does good things for you. He's the one who is good things for you. We've got to stop thinking of Jesus and receiving him and praying to him because he's the one who gets us what we need. We are praying and worshiping and thanking him because he's already come to us and he is what we need. He's not the person that's going to go talk to the next person up the chain of command. He is the head. He is, hallelujah, the command of heaven. He is what we need, not the way for us to get what we need. Now, when we start looking at these eight compound covenant names of God, usually the first one that people think about is Jehovah Jireh. Most people know Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh was a name that Abraham gave to the altar that he made up on Mount Moriah 
when he had gone to sacrifice his son and God replaced Isaac with his son, Jesus. He said, here, I'm going to give you a placeholder for now. Sacrifice this sheep, but you're really sacrificing the Lamb of God. Because you're willing in blood covenant relationship to give your son, I'm willing to give my son. In fact, I led you and drew you in to this act of sacrificing your son so that it would obligate me to do the same thing on your behalf. So I'm going to stop you right there, and I'll give you a son you can sacrifice, but don't sacrifice Isaac. I'll give you a son you can sacrifice. When you're ready to cut yourself apart with the knife of condemnation, don't do it. God's already sent his son to be cut apart and condemned in your place. Like Jesse said, rejoice and be glad. Jesus has already gone down into the grave for you so that you don't have to go. Can you say amen? amen. So the name of Jesus entitles you to ask and expect that all that God offers man is given to you in Jesus. Romans 8.32, still on Jehovah Jireh, says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now he spared Isaac because he intended to give his own son on our behalf. How shall he also not, along with him, with Jesus, freely give us all things? So when you receive the name of Jesus, you don't just receive the one who's able to go get you what you need. You receive all that you need. Amen. Jehovah Rapha is probably the next one people would think about. Jehovah Rapha means the Lord our healer. The Lord our healer. And in Exodus chapter 15 is where that appears in the Bible. When God said to Moses, I am the Lord your healer. He said, Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord your healer. You see, when you're in blood covenant, with the one who, and I'm going to quote Matthew, who quoted Isaiah. So Isaiah prophesies this, then Matthew quotes it concerning Jesus when, when he saw Jesus healing everybody that came to him. When you're in a blood covenant with the one who, and as Isaiah and Brother Matthew said, himself took our sicknesses, our weaknesses, and carried away our diseases. When you're in the blood covenant with that one, Hallelujah. The name of Jesus entitles you to ask for your healing. If he took our sicknesses, then he took them. If he carried away our diseases, he carried them away. You are entitled through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to ask. Now, what this does is it removes out of the discussion the idea that you have to you have to be at some moral level or, or meet some moral measure before you're entitled to ask to be healed. But if you notice in the Gospels, Jesus never gave any of the people that he healed a form to fill out. You go to the doctor before he treats you, what's he do? Gives you a form. And they, what are the, what's the first thing they do? It'll get you kicked out of that doctor's office quicker than anything else I know. Thank you. Insurance. Give me your insurance. Yeah, you don't have insurance, you're out. Is that not right? The name of the Lord Jesus Christ gives you something better than insurance, gives you assurance. In the name of Jesus, when he healed people, notice they didn't fill out any forms describing their condition because the doctor might say, you know, I can't treat that. 
I'm going to have to send you to somebody else. Jesus never sends you to somebody else. Praise the Lord. He never asked them, how good are you? Do you tithe? Are you at synagogue every Saturday? Do you work on the Sabbath day? None of those things. You're sick? Guess what? I'm healing. You're infirm? Guess what? I'm relief. You're diseased? Guess what? I'm the cure. Jesus came to be the cure. And so he never quizzed people or pre-qualified them. He just said, be healed. The only time people didn't receive healing is when they did not believe that he was authorized to heal them. Think about that for just a moment. He goes to Nazareth. They all say, well, I know this guy. He's just the son of the carpenter. And the Bible says he could, not would not, could not do mighty works, couldn't heal anyone in Nazareth because they would not believe on his name. They didn't have any confidence in him. Everyone else that got healed, you ever notice? They're fighting through the crowd to just grab the hem of his garment. They all had faith. They believed he was authorized to heal them. There was never a conflict about how worthy they were. In fact, there were cases like the father who had the demoniac son, who obviously felt guilty, said, Lord, help my unbelief. The Lord cast the devil out of the, out of, out of the kid. So Jesus, everyone he healed was imperfect. Everyone he healed had problems. So if you've got problems that are imperfect and don't have things sorted out in your life, stop trying to work it out before you believe God to heal you. He, Jesus, is the Lord, our healer, Jehovah Rapha. How about Jehovah Nissi? Has anyone ever heard the term Jehovah Nissi? N-I-S-S-I. Jehovah Nissi means the Lord, our banner. The Lord, our banner. Ooh, a banner. What is? Well, in the day of battle, armies would rally around the standard of the army. That was the banner. And so it was with Moses and Joshua as they were in a war with the Amalekites. The Bible talks about it, glory to God, in Exodus chapter 17. When Joshua was out on the battlefield with the Israelites to fight the Amalekites, they took Moses up on the mountaintop and Moses said, okay, here's the strategy. Here's how we're going to win. I'm going to go up on that mountaintop and I've got the rod of God with me. And Aaron and Hur went up there to help him because he's a little bit old. And so the Bible says that he's standing up in it. When he lifted up his hands and one of them had the rod of God in it, Joshua would win and the Israelites would beat the Amalekites. But then he got tired and his hands began to lower. And when his arms began to lower and the staff would come down, the Amalekites would rise up and they'd start beating. So there's a battle going on back and forth the whole time. Arms raised up, victory. Jehovah Nisi, the arms dropped. And finally he got tired, and so the two guys there and her set him down on a big rock, and they said, each of us are going to get an arm. We're going to hold your arms up. And so they just held his arms up until the battle was over. And when it was all finished, Moses made an altar and worshiped God, and he named the altar Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is our banner. So listen, what does that mean for you and I? Because you are a blood covenant child of God, you're entitled to lift up the name of Jesus over the battles that rise against you and expect his victory to be yours. Jehovah Mekadesh. Jehovah Mekadesh means the Lord, our sanctification. Sanctification being the one who makes us holy and sets us apart to himself. And so... In Exodus chapter 31, 
Moses is instructed by God to tell the Israelites, and he says to them, You must keep my Sabbaths, says the Lord, for it is a sign between you and me throughout your generations, not for eternity, just through your generations, that you might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So God says to the, to the Jews, by way of the covenant through Moses, if you, if you keep those Sabbaths, I will separate you. I'll, I will sanctify you, even though I know that you're kind of crummy. And from Sunday through Friday, you're messing up. But if you just keep that Saturday, every, everything's going to be, I will sanctify you. But guess what? <clears throat> if you're not saved on Monday, you're not going to be saved on Saturday. If you don't have a covenant with God on a Wednesday, you're not going to have a covenant of God, with God just because you keep a Sabbath day. So the Sabbath day was nothing more than a symbol. The symbol, just like scaffolding when you're building a building, you don't, leave, you don't build a building and leave the scaffolding there. How ridiculous. If you built a house two or three stories, would you leave all the scaffolding up after the house was built? No. Take it away. Get rid of it. We don't need it anymore. It served its purpose. Jesus is our Sabbath. The whole purpose of a Sabbath was to rest and let your life be engaged with God. And Jesus came to do that. So Jesus is our Sabbath. So because Jesus is your Sabbath, faith in the name of Jesus is what sanctifies you and sets you apart to God. Jehovah Shalom. You could just about guess. Somebody want to venture a guess? What does Jehovah Shalom mean? The Lord is my peace. Hallelujah. You remember Gideon? That's where Jehovah Shalom comes through. God says to Gideon, Hail, mighty man of valor. I'm going to send you out against the Midianites, and you are going to defeat them, and you're going to save Israel. And Gideon, of course, says, Well, who am I? I'm a nothing. I'm nobody. No, no. You are the mighty man of God, and I'm going to use you. And, of course, uh, very quickly, he finds out that the Lord is with him. And so Gideon erects an altar after he has this meeting with God, and he names the altar Jehovah Shalom. And if you read in the NET, the uh, New English translation, the scripture says, well, in most translations, the one you have, it says something like, Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is my peace. Jehovah Shalom. But another definition that's equally correct is he built an altar and called it, the Lord is on friendly terms with me. I like that one myself. Because if God's not on friendly terms with you, I don't know what you think you've got, but it's not peace. <laughs> but if 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 the Lord is on friendly terms with you, you can just kick back and uh, relax, hallelujah, because you know that there's no battles and problems between you and God. Oh, God's on friendly terms. So the name of Jesus has put you on friendly terms with God. One of my favorites is Jehovah Sid Canoe. That means the Lord is our righteousness. Now, man... Mankind has struggled for 6,000 years with righteousness. And I think the best we've ever gotten is self-righteousness. Actually, the best we've ever gotten 
is humbling ourselves before God and turning to Him and letting Him establish His righteousness. And that kind of leads us to the meaning of Jehovah Sid Canoe. Jeremiah prophesied that a Savior would come into the world and that when He came, He would reign forever as the eternal King. And He prophesied in this prophecy, He says, when He comes, His reign will be forever and you will call his name Jehovah Sid Canoe. Now what we actually call him, and when Jesus came to Israel, he was uh, Yeshua HaMashiach in Hebrew. Or Joshua. Jesus is just simply the, the uh, Greek derivative of the word Joshua, our deliverer. The Lord Jesus Christ means the Lord is our delivering Savior. And that is the interpretation of Jehovah Sid Canoe. The Lord is my righteousness. So the name of Jesus puts you in right standing with God. We just got two more. Jehovah Shammah. That's what we seek every time we gather together, whether for prayer, for worship, is the presence of the Lord. Jehovah Shammah means the Lord is our ever-present God. Ezekiel saw in a vision the new Jerusalem, which we see in the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation, coming down out of heaven. He had a futuristic vision. And if you study the scriptures, you know the new Jerusalem is the body of Christ. And when he saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven and resting upon the earth, and God makes the earth the final headquarters for all of creation, for all the universe, he says, when that city comes... The name of the city is Jehovah Shammah, means the Lord is there. The Lord is there. Hallelujah. The Lord is there here in the midst of us. Glory to God. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So the name of Jesus is, is my assurance that God is present with me because Jesus promised at the Last Supper I will send the Comforter in my name. So the name of Jesus is how God makes his presence to dwell within us. This brings me to the last. The last one is Jehovah Rohi, and it's one of the sweetest. It literally means the Lord is my shepherd. Where have you heard that before? The 23rd Psalm. The 23rd Psalm is the Old Testament version of the Lord's Prayer. The two of them perfectly go together. Our Father, which is in heaven, holy and sacred is your name. And the 23rd Psalm, hallelujah, the Lord is my shepherd, making me to lie down in green pastures. We'll touch on it for a moment as we close. But Jehovah-Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. In the 23rd Psalm, in that first verse, David states it right out front. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I lack nothing because Jesus is my shepherd. The name of Jesus means that God is directing my life. My, I live a directed life. My life is not left alone to myself or for fate to define, but I am following a shepherd. Jesus is out in front of me. I meet with him every morning. I ask him to lead me, and he's always there. Jehovah Shammah is there, and he's leading me. 
He's not just leaving me to see how I'm going to go in life or what I'm going to do, but he's working with me. You know, Philippians 2.13 says, God is working in you to will and to do his good pleasure. Jesus is actively working to direct your life. Can you say praise the Lord? As a blood covenant partner with God, you're not an experiment. The Lord's not out testing you every day to see if you're going to stay faithful. He's leading you. He's directing you. And when you goof up, he's, he's teaching you and putting you back on the path and dusting you off and moving you forward. The 23rd Psalm, which all the world loves, is really a psalm about the blood covenant. It is a psalm about the new creation. I think we ought to rename it the new creation psalm. Because the name of Jesus is laced throughout every phrase of the 23rd Psalm. All the compound covenant names of God are in the 23rd Psalm. It's miraculous. I'll give them to you quickly. The Lord is my shepherd, Jehovah-Rohi. I shall not want Jehovah-Jireh. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside the still water, Jehovah-Shalom. He restores my soul. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is my healer. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Jehovah said, Canoe, the Lord is my righteousness. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Jehovah Makedesh, he sanctifies and sets me apart, even when I'm going through the narrow passageway in the valley of death. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is my peace. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Jehovah Nisi, he's my banner. Praise the Lord. Doesn't matter what enemies stand before me. I'm standing under Jehovah Nisi. Hallelujah. My cup runs over. Once again, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provision. That's, by the way, I don't care how big your cup is, it's always going to spill over because they don't make cups big enough to hold what God is pouring out in your life. Somebody say, praise the Lord. And finally, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. You see that when it's all over with, He is in the midst of us because He's been in the midst of us all along. We are the new creation in Christ with a blood covenant. We end up in heaven because that's where we're from. Heaven isn't where you're going. Heaven's where you're from. You're just getting back home. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Amen. All right, well, enough. That's everything I had on my heart to share, so I'd like you to stand with me.